0: Rika Technologies and GotanAppIdea.com present this week's episode of Incubate This in partnership with The Rika Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are missing our grant today. He had work to get done and didn't want to come play with us in the podcast room.
1: And a dentist appointment. And a dentist
0: appointment. And so maybe his tooth hurts and maybe he can't talk. We don't know.
1: Yeah, it's probably good because if he came in after that, it would be like,
0: I know. I just wanted you to say Foggy Bottom, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or like CJ from. Yeah. From, uh, what was
0: it? What's he doing in Foggy Bottom? Yeah. <laughs> Woot canal. Woot canal. <laughs> uh, so funny. All right. So Daryl and I are here today, and we thought that we would talk about healthcare. We're not exactly sure what about healthcare. We, you know, we both have ties to the healthcare industry. Um, David, who is our illustrious silent partner and who has interrupted in many, many of our <laughs> podcasts and videos and, uh, who provides our, our office space for us. Um, he is a laryngeal microsurgeon, which means that he cares for professional voice. Um, so people who have a voice issue, um, whether that's their horse or breathy or um, any number of things he is he is one of the most qualified guys in the country to help take care of those people. Uh, Daryl's wife, not really wife. you guys were divorced, and then you got back together. We have a
1: failed divorce. And a failed, failed marriage. divorce
0: yes, it was a, it was a psych divorce.:
1: <laughs> We're a cautionary tale, so if you have any marriage questions, you should definitely reach out to me. <laughs>
0: Well, and David and I every time we're we're joking about getting married, I'm like, yeah, but look at Daryl and his look at Daryl and Jill. Like they got married, it didn't work out, they got divorced and now they're happy again. I was like, so see? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh anyway, so Jill is a nurse practitioner, Family nurse correct? Practitioner. Yeah, yeah. So tell tell everybody what she does.
1: Uh she's um as best I can describe it, I'm sure I'm gonna get it wrong. <laughs> Apologies, Jill. Um is basically like your your family doctor, except that she's not an MD, she's a nurse practitioner. So she was a nurse for I think 13 years, an RN. And uh so she went and got her master's, which makes her a nurse practitioner. And so she sees a bunch of people and I get to hear all kinds of weird and gross stories, whether I want to hear them <laughs> or not, because I'm sure you do too.
0: Now correct you you may not know this. I wish we had David here for this, but I think a nurse practitioner has to have the oversight of an MD. But they've changed the rule where now a PA could actually operate on their own.
1: So can a nurse practitioner actually in Colorado? Yeah, in Colorado she can she could start her own practice. She could go out on her own. Yeah, it wasn't the case for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Um.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Daryl and I both have tangential uh, relationship to the healthcare world, and probably more insight and understanding into it than. Maybe a lot of people do. And we thought, "Is this would just be an interesting thing to talk about, whether from a technology perspective, you know, how, how EMRs seem to be some of the worst software that yes. exists on the planet. And why is that? I mean, in a, in a world where communication should be simpler and sharing records should be easy, it's not. No. Like, it's not at all. And is that because of the EMR or is it because of the regulations? governing what an EMR has to do. It's really hard to tell.
1: I think part of it is is—is an attribute of enter- enterprise software. I mean, everybody knows enterprise software is often some of the worst software. Why? And I was, there was this was a good topic we could have actually talked about probably and maybe should in the future. But I think it has to do with the fact that often the people that are buying the enterprise software are never the people who are actually using it.
0: Uh. And so,
1: you know, it's... A VP or a CXO or, you know, someone at a high level and they're like, oh, that's great. That gives me everything I need.
0: Without and so, checking in with all the people who have to use it every day to, to see, see if it To see if it also gives them
1: need. what they need. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and not to mention the user interfaces, you know, the user oh. interfaces for enterprise software are notoriously are bad. Um, I remember one when Jill was in, uh, at the tail end of her nurse practitioner program, she may have actually... Finished, but she had some clinicals she was doing, I think, and we went on a we went on a trip to to um Cape Cod, and so she was doing some of it in the car while we were while we were driving and I looked at the software and it made me angry at how bad it was. I mean, the input fields were really yeah. tiny and thin and I'm like, how can you see that? why who would think that that was a good idea? and that was just my understanding is that software was just for educational purposes. It wasn't any EMR that anybody would actually use, Yeah. but I've seen some that they actually use and it's not much better.
0: No. So there, uh, in in David's practice, we use one that's specific for ear, nose and throat. Oh really? Um, and they, they have, they have programs that are like subspecialized to different specialties so that you don't have to look through a menu of, a thousand different specialties procedures oh, okay. in order to find, so find the, the codes that you want. Specific. Yeah. The codes are specific yeah. and whatever. Um, but it's, it's the best of the worst. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's not good. Right. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, yeah. and, and watching him go through click off after click off, after click off, after click off, because that's what he has to do in order to get... He spends more time most of the time doing charts on patient records... Yeah. ...than he actually spent with the patient in the room.
1: Yeah. And that, that's And that's wrong. time he, he's not getting paid for.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's... What's interesting is the hospital has what's considered the gold standard system. Uh, actually, two of the hospitals that he works at. It's called Epic. Yep. And it's bad too. Big
1: is bad too. Yeah. But I've again, it.
0: it's the gold standard because it's the least of the worst. Right. You know, and I, I'm just, how do, are there other industries? I mean, is it any kind of corporate software ends up being this way? And is it because of who's making the purchasing decisions or are there examples of software that are like standouts in in an industry like this, or there are other industries that have the same kind of problem.
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm not the best either. person to ask because I've mostly worked for startups. I haven't worked. In I a, mean, a like, big let's enterprise. look at the
0: financial industry. I mean, from from a basic like user, you know, with a small couple small businesses and whatever, QuickBooks yeah. is actually not bad. Yeah. Um. And and you know what? In my personal finance stuff, I use Banktivity, yep. which used to be iBank. Mm-hmm. and I think that's a Mac-only product. Um, but again, it's great. It does exactly what you need it to do. It doesn't have a lot of extra crap in it that I'm constantly like trying to maneuver around. Yeah. So again, is it because in a small business or in a personal life, the the buyer and the software are the same person? Like the user and the buyer are the same person?
1: I think there's that, but there's also a certain level of in an enterprise, they will spend the money to have their people trained on this really terrible software, oh. whereas in a commercial environment, people are not going to spend money to be trained on no. software. They want to be able to pick it up and use it right out of the gate Yeah, as much as possible. And they've been trained that they can do that. So um, I think that maybe there's a Isn't part that of that interesting? Too.
0: How much of smartphones and our relationship to user experience that's changed in the last 10 to 12 years since the smartphone came out? How much has that changed our willingness to be trained? Do you know what I mean? like yeah, I think like software has. doesn't hardware doesn't even come with big thick user manuals anymore. Nobody mm. would read it if it did, yeah, right?
1: right no, they wouldn't and so and and that's good in my opinion, right i mean if 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 my iPhone came with a, a manual that was thicker than my iPhone, they're doing something wrong. It should right. be so intuitive that and so all software should be that way. And I think what we're arguing is so should enterprise software.
0: Yeah. And I
1: think part of the reason why it's not is because they don't have to. The enterprise software vendors know they don't have to. No they know that's another revenue source for them to 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 sell uh sales train or to sell uh software training. Oh, and, interesting.
0: You know, and companies are willing to do it. Companies are willing to
1: do it. These are tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars worth of contracts. Yeah. And so these companies aren't gonna change. So you know, they're not going to switch vendors. It's going to be really hard if right. they do. So these, these EMR softwares, for example, they're like, we've got the lock up on most of the hospitals. We're not going to make it any better. Why would we spend money to make it better and make yeah. the user interface friendlier? Yeah. Even though an argument com- could probably be made that it would save the hospital's money and and patient save, care would increase.
0: Right. Save time on charting save and whatever time on Save time
1: on charting and maybe even help save some lives because right. now they're able to focus on their patients and not their the face chart. in front of a computer.
0: So is is there something unique about this problem in healthcare though, where because of the regulations and because of all the pieces of data that it takes to kind of come together to form like a whole picture of a human's healthcare needs or whatever, the current situation, past situation, whatever. Is it necessarily complex? I mean, is there is there any way to simplify this down to where it doesn't have to take so long?
1: There probably is, but I think you're right. I think there is a level of complexity inherent in it just because of the regula- regulation. Mm. You know, I mean, these are people's lives and we we don't want the software to to go down or whatever. we were watching Grey's Anatomy as I know you guys do because everybody <laughs> yeah. that's in the medical field has to watch Grey's Anatomy.
0: I, I do it because it's helped me understand what the hell David's talking about when we're at dinner with other doctors. Oh, okay. Um, and I always find it funny cause he'll wander in in the middle of an episode and mostly it plays in the background. I've seen it yeah. a gazillion times and he'll wander in and go, Oh, what's this one about? And I'll give him sort of the rundown and, within, you know, two sentences of dialogue, he's like, oh, that's such and such blah, blah, blah disease. And I'm like,
2: yeah, same. Here. And
0: it, at least I know the medicine's decent. You know, right. I mean, there's times our, uh, our stepdaughter, it was her birthday this past weekend. So we went and visited them in Minnesota and she was saying how she started watching it. Cause she was curious why I liked it so much. And she was like, uh, she was, she just kept throwing out like random medical words. Yeah. (laughs) And then at one point she goes, I know what every diagnosis is going to be because if you just work it all backwards, it's always cancer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My my daughter last night was complaining. We were watching it. She was like, Oh, there they go again. Everything's a code. (laughs) Let's break out the crash cart. But um, in this one particular episode, they, uh, they're, Computer systems went down.
0: Yeah, they and got they hacked.
1: knew it was no. It was it, oh, it, it was before that. Okay, I think because we she started rewatching, and I just kind of come in and uh, you know I enjoy the show. I actually yeah, yeah, really yeah. enjoy the show, but it's not one that I'm like I gotta yeah. you know, pause it while I go to the bathroom kind of thing. <laughs> um, it was the episode where they had a storm, a really bad storm. Oh, so they right. saw it coming. So one and they of were the, trying to prepare. They were trying to prepare so smartly. They said print all of these charts out so yep. that we have them so that when the power goes out we will we'll do this. But even still you know that was a big problem for them and yep. so i'm that leads me back to i'm sure that there are aspects of that with the emr software that they have to think about right you know what what, what it, it just can't go down so they have to devote resources to to reliability right. over user experience so right. i understand that but yeah <laughs> they could probably put
0: some at more least time. a little bit more
1: into user experience.
0: This is, this is one of those rare situations where I wonder if technology made it worse. You know, I think the origin of creating EMRs and creating, you know, EMR stands for electronic medical record in mm-hmm. case we've used that and people don't know or some people don't know what we're talking about. But the purpose of creating these electronic records was to facilitate sharing of those records between different providers so that people could get better care. Here's the problem. It's 2019 and I'm I'm one of the people in charge of like the IT for David's practice and so I have interacted with our EMR and with all the systems related to it probably more than anybody else in the office outside of actually doing charts. I've never actually done a chart. And From the Medicare um, minimum requirements for performance perspective, the things that they make you track have no bearing on David's patient relationship to his patients, his population, what he sees every day. Mm -hmm. So we're basically asking people questions to check off boxes so that Medicare will either you know will put us in a ranking of how well are we doing compared to other doctors with things that make no difference in his practice. Right. The other thing is one of the one of the metrics that they used to track on which they removed this year which I thought was really interesting. It's called continuity of care. And what it is is the ability to in a secure way. So it's like secure email. It's called direct messaging in a secure way to actually be able to package up a person's chart with all of their visits and history and any documents that were loaded into their chart, you know, from external sources to package all that up and send it directly to another practice's EMR. And it's a secure way of doing that. In order for that to work, all those other practices have to actually be using direct messaging. Do you know the number of them in Denver as of 2019, about two months ago, the last time I checked? Us, we're it.
1: You're the only one that we're uses a, we an the, EMR that can support that. We have been the
0: only ones. No, everybody's using the EMR. Nobody has their direct messaging set up, so nobody can That's transfer documents. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So Medicare finally got wise because every practice... Uh, this is a huge problem across the country because people don't understand how this works. They're used to taking visits and faxing them. Yeah. The ones that... Because remember... If a visit is more than six months old, unless it was an original diagnosis and you're seeing a progression of something, which most doctors don't care about, they want to know what's going on right now. They're going to order whatever tests they need based on what's going on right now. They don't care about the five years that they've been a patient of David's. Yeah. They care about the last two visits that have prompted David to send the patient to the new doctor. So none of them care about and and all every practice i talk to their their level of it sophistication yeah is like uh, decades old yeah i mean it's they're like oh i have to i know exactly what i have to do to put in the information to get the code so that my billing people can bill and that's the extent of how far we go right i mean i wonder how m- it, as a as a Correlate to what I'm saying. There's another practice here in town. Uh, We're very good friends with, with the doc who owns that practice. And they were part of the scam where they had all their data hacked and encrypted Mm -hmm. and held ransom last year. And how did the people get in through an email? Yeah. That was sent to one of the employees. Yep. And they weren't, they weren't taking basic security measures to protect themselves, you know? And so,
1: and and they were probably shocked that that that, that the attackers shocked. came in so sim- in such a simple
0: manner. Yeah, he was shocked. And he ended up paying the hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or whatever it was because after spending fifty thousand trying to figure out what would they even have to do, yeah, he realized I'm just gonna write the check and get my data back. And they got about eighty five percent of it. He said there was still some stuff they had to recreate from paper oh, wow. charts. But the point being, he had the paper charts. Yeah. If he hadn't had them He would have never, so to go back to my question, this technology was supposed to make taking care of people easier, better, faster, more, more cooperation between doctors because they had all the information. Yeah. David would tell you it's had the exact opposite effect. I could see that. Exact opposite effect. Because now everybody's spending so much time in their stupid EMR system Mm -hmm. that they're less likely to take the phone call. They're less likely to try and fit in a patient who really needs to be seen if they're booking 12 weeks out and the patient can't wait because they've got a mountain of paperwork to do at the end of the day. Yep. So. I believe it. uh, I guess what I'm saying is I don't, I, I get people always think that technology is the answer and specifically yeah. digital technology. And that's, a, that's another interesting thing. I've been reading this book that's set, like, uh, set, meaning they travel back in time. I, okay. I like weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but they travel back in time to the, the late 1500s, so 16th century yeah. in, uh, in Europe. And they use the word technology to describe things like a hole punch right. or a stapler.
1: Because strictly speaking, that is technology.
0: It's technology. It's technology is really anything that advances knowledge and understanding of things. Right? right. So when I say technology, I'm wondering if digital technology was absolutely the wrong answer in this case, but it's sort of like when all you have is a hammer and it looks like a computer. Yeah. That's how we solve our problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, you know, if I put myself probably in, I don't know, late sixties, seventies, eighties, right around when probably doctors, hospitals, the, the medical field started adopting technology. Yeah. I'm guessing, I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I can see from their perspective, from everybody's perspective, how they would think this is going to be
0: great. Right.
1: You know, and there's probably a lot of it that they couldn't see was going to happen, you yeah. know, as far as the costs yeah and the security, you know, yeah. I mean, nobody when they thought I mean, look at email, right? Email yeah. is still unbelievably insecure, as we've learned from Sam, yeah, you know, it was never designed for for security Telnet, which is a a, a way of getting onto another computer that we all used to use, yeah, completely insecure, you know, yeah. a lot of the internet was just never built for security, so they they couldn't see that coming,
0: yeah, and what I find interesting. There's just so many ways that looking at this, specifically in the medical space, you can see where it's just fallen short or failed entirely. Yeah. Not only do doctors not have that sort of communication that this was supposed to solve for them, patients don't have it either. Right. Because every time you go to a new doctor, you have a whole new place to sign in to get that doctor's records. Yeah. And part of the whole thing about Obamacare was it was supposed to be everybody was supposed to work together, and all these systems were supposed to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Where's that?
1: Well, so that's interesting. I, I remember reading an article. What happened apparently was they were they that was the pl- original plan, but we were right at the outset of this massive recession, and the guys that he had that he had brought on to sort of define and design Obamacare. One of the aspects of it was they said, "Look, we can introduce a lot of these." efficiencies. We should. But on the other hand, this is a massive source of jobs that we could create right now. So they basically said Ugh. we will allow the inefficiency so that we can start adding jobs during this massive recession.
0: Okay. So this makes me question yet again, why do we keep relying on government to make decisions like this when they do it so much more poorly than the private market, than the capitalist system of private markets coming up with solutions to problems and creating companies out of them?
1: Yeah, I don't know. We, we You would have to ask Grant. Because <laughs> 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 oh, you and I are Grant. a little more in line on, on this particular <laughs> topic than, than he is.
0: I, I just, I find it this so... People like to use the word disruption a lot in yeah. technology. Oh, yeah. I've got a disruptive new dating app. I think we talked about that it's, guy it's once. It's like
1: lightweight. It's so overused that it's It doesn't even
0: mean anything yeah. anymore. The reality is that healthcare is a space that is ripe for disruption on this level, on this yeah. EMR, continuity of care, sharing of data. It is ripe for somebody to come along and totally upend all of the dynamics to go from it's complicated and it's, uh, you know, these huge forms and all this data and whatever back to where a doctor does no more than what they used to do, which is write notes in a chart and talk to a patient. Yeah. And if you could figure that out, this is to all you business owners out there or, or entrepreneurs or idea guys, if you can figure this one out, you will be a billionaire inside of five years.
1: Because one thing that, that David told me once that I, it was a shock to me and Jill confirmed it. I had no idea. He said, I, I chart. I said, he said, I chart for the insurance companies. He said, I don't need all this, this level of charting that I have to do. I don't need it to do my job, to see patients. Nope. I do it to make them happy. Yeah. And so right there is a built-in inefficiency that just doesn't need to exist. Which the insurance
0: companies do it on purpose because if you don't follow all the steps, then they don't have to reimburse you and they get to keep the money. And And so again, in all of that, who gets screwed is the patient. Right. The patient who's paying for insurance the, the the doctor and actually doctors end up getting screwed a lot because they end up having to write off stuff or stuff goes to collections that they never collect on or whatever mm. everybody except for the insurance companies and hospitals are, are getting, getting screwed getting
2: screwed, because
0: yep. they're the ones with the big lobbies who can get things written in their favor and mm-hmm. you know I, we could totally go down that path with this sure. <laughs> easily but it's you know technology should be designed to make things better and make it easier yeah and i just feel like this is one case where it has failed miserably
1: in in many ways yeah in this particular in in this particular, yeah. particular case cuz you could argue there are other things like like the robotic thing that David Oh you know, yeah that's great David operates with a
0: with a robot He's uh, he the da vinci robot and then there's a couple of other ones that are sort of in in development and he loves it. Right and I mean, that is
1: making their his job easier uh, patient care better it's oh, yeah. you know so that that level of technology is great. Yeah. Um it's just that how it's we manage keeping. it's the record keeping. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then all of the regulations and mm-hmm. hoops for the insurance companies yeah. which comes down to you know, again, we could, we could get into this on the political level, but insurance companies intentionally make things harder for doctors, for patients to avoid paying on policies. Yeah. And so it's no longer about, and you can see it even in the paperwork, like what David said to you about how I do all this paperwork for the insurance company. It didn't increase his relationship with the patient. It didn't increase the patient's feeling of being taken care of by David. Yeah, so it was no longer about David and his patient working together to solve whatever problem they legitimately had. It's now a paperwork game. And how is that helping anyone?
1: Yeah, I've had this happen to me. I mean, I have this, have this you know, heartburn, whatever. And so I go see a GI specialist. She's like, well, I'm going to put you on this, on this medication first before we stick a camera down your throat. And me being me, I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm, I don't like pills at all. Right. But... You know, if it means you don't have to stick, put me to sleep and stick a camera down down my throat, then okay. But the reason why she said she would do that was because the insurance, the insurance wants company. to see it. It wasn't yep. because that was maybe the best thing. And yep. now, I'm interestingly, we watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy last night where the same situation happened. This guy comes in, he's complaining of heartburn. They think maybe it's a heart attack. And, and so they're going to do all these tests and he's like, look, just stick the camera down my throat so I can get out of here faster. They do that and they, they see a tumor. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking, great, I have another <laughs> two months to go of this if it keeps up before they're going to stick a camera down, down my throat. And I'm thinking, maybe I should have just gone with that in the first place, but yep. I can't because of the insurance company.
0: Yep. Yep. So it's not. It's not helping anyone because, and in fact, the insurance company is spending more money having you have repeat visits, not solving the problem and on the medication that you're taking rather than allowing doctors to be doctors and get the studies they need to be able to see what's really going on from the beginning. Yeah. And so... it's just really stupid.
1: So you could argue that they are they are contributing to the increased cost yeah. of, of healthcare. And one thing that I, I remember reading, and I, I need to find this article because I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, it was basically talking about how a lot of people complain about the size of our military, how much money we spend on our military, you know, yeah. more than the next 49 other countries after combined. us combined. Yeah. And it said, except if you look at the military budget on a pie chart, straight down the middle one half of it is healthcare spending yeah for and, the troops for the troops yeah and, and which we want right yeah. but they said that's you know our military is a healthcare company that also fights wars wow you know and so that's that's the on, that's a big onus of why our government is pushing so hard on socialized medicine and things like that because oh. they want to solve that problem which is I which see. makes sense i but see how much of this is coming from, I mean, really to me, what it seems like is we have now this sort of emergence phenomenon. You know what yeah. emergence is, we're just something will emerge out of, because it's sort of a perfect storm. Right. Uh, and, and the best example is I read something recently about how the number of codes, you know, the, when a the doctor does something, the the insurance after, codes, insurance codes yeah. has increased to something like 80,000 codes. Yeah. There was and one there, code, there's some
0: ridiculous Yeah. Ones. There was one
1: code for something like if you had a heart attack because a uh, a chicken jumped on you or something like yeah, that. Yeah.
0: There's one that is, um, a ski, uh, a, um, a water skiing accident caused by a bite from a turtle.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, it, why that does is that need literally to be a code. code? And the reason that needs to be a code is because someone at, at an insurance company said, well, that happened. So we want to be able to track if it happens again, Exactly. if it happens again, is exactly. it ever going to happen again? No,
0: exactly.
1: But, so there's this emergence because, so now what's happening is there is a whole industry popping up of people training, coming in to train doctors like David on how to code things so that they get paid. Yeah. So now there's this sort of healthcare industrial complex, right? And yep. so now if we, if we really do go through and introduce all these efficiencies that, that Obamacare wanted to introduce.
0: Now we're shutting down. We're shutting industries. down whole industries. Shh which shouldn't exist in the, first place. In the first place. And this is the part that frustrates me and and because of the number of entrepreneurs that we that we work with all the time, I'm constantly amazed that there's still this argument which is, "Oh, but if you fix this inefficiency and you shut down all the businesses, that have developed because of that inefficiency, like those people won't go find something new to do. Right, like there won't be a whole <laughs> new industries created and whole new realms of people's creativity and ingenuity that get launched because hey, we solved that inefficiency. Good for us. Let's go find the next thing yeah, to solve.
1: It's, it's like go back. It's the,
0: not like all these people are like, oh, that's the only thing I can do. They're they're entrepreneurs. They're business owners. They're like,
1: they'll figure something. They'll see a need. They'll find a new thing. Go look at guys like me. It, what? So I got laid off in 2002. I was a little late in the dot-com crash, (laughs) Um, but I got laid off. If someone had come to me and said, well, why don't you just become an app developer? I would be like, I already am. Yeah. But that's not what that meant back then. There was no such thing as a mobile app. Nope. I mean, there was, but not like, not nearly like we think now. I mean, it wasn't this multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry. Nope. That that it is now. Nope. so yeah. To to your point, and I don't think either one of us are arguing for or against socialized medicine or whatever. No. It's just let's try to get back to this efficient the, the, introducing yeah, the, these efficiencies and
0: and the the re you know healthcare costs getting out of control are partially because of all the ineffic- inefficiencies in the system. Right? You know, I mean, the reason that the reason that your doctor bills your insurance company $2000 for a visit is because they know they're only going to get billed they're only going to actually get reimbursed the $600 that they're contracted with your insurance company but if for some reason you don't pay your bill or you don't have insurance they actually have to they actually have to show that $2000 bill on their cash patients in order to keep their contracts at those levels mm-hmm. with the insurance companies yeah Why can't we just agree on a price and everybody pay it? Yeah. I mean, and yeah, we, again, we could totally go down this road and I could rant for probably 30 minutes on my own podcast about all of the things, you know, that you don't see unless you're in the life of someone who's living is based on how health insurance companies reimburse doctors. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I don't know if Jill sees that as much. She might, because she probably has to see more patients in order to hit whatever
1: she does. She, has to, she, she sees has about to. 20 to 20, 20, somewhere between 18 and probably 23, 24 patients a day. Wow. Yeah. In
0: eight hours, 10 hours.
1: Uh, She works 10 hour days, four days a week. Wow. Yep.
0: So she's seeing.
1: But, but the reality is, is she was seeing that many patients before she was doing 10 hour days. Yeah. She, she last year she switched to the, the four 10s. Yeah. But before that she was doing five eights. And was still seeing twenty to twenty, probably around twenty-one patients at that time. I mean, so
0: it's about two patients an hour. Yeah, which is actually pretty good. We we have worked with other family physicians who, uh, because of the way they're structured, their their PAs and their NPs end up seeing five to eight an hour. Mm-hmm. So they literally spend like five minutes, and they're like constantly just moving around and yeah. they're while they're with the patient, they're not even really looking at the patient. They're charting while they're talking and, and you look at it and go, how can they be efficient?
1: How can it be effective?
0: How can it be effective? And not to mention, if
1: I'm a patient and I see them tapping everything and they're, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going, are you really listening to me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it is the current, Generation of kids and young adults who have n- never grown up without technology, like yeah. never. You know your your kid. I remember when you came in, you were like, "Flynn was so cute today." He was like, "What were iPhones like when you were my yeah, age, Yeah, That Daddy? was actually
1: Sophie, but yeah. I remember, <laughs> oh, so yeah. I remember Sophie. her asking that. What were iPhones like when you were a kid?
0: And I was. I mean, we have we have not grown up the same way that they have, where right. they never didn't have it. Right now, our kids are still teenagers, but think about twenty year olds who never grew up without the internet. Right. So do they have, are we at our age, because we remember a time when people actually sit at a table, have a meal, and there was no distraction from a telephone or a pager or a cell phone. Do we have a different relationship to this or are, I'm using the term millennials. I think that's probably the wrong term, but you know, the generations younger than, than us and our, you know, early to late forties. Yeah. Do they have a different relationship to this phenomenon? Does it not bother them?
1: I, I think there is a certain attribute of that, but also, you know, I, I don't know if you do, but I remember going to the doctor and he would sit there and look at me. Yeah. And then he would make some notes handwritten yeah. on a piece of paper. Yeah. Maybe maybe a chart, quote unquote, you know, chart. Sure. But it wasn't it wasn't electronic. No. So um but what you're talking about is my kids have never seen that every yeah. time they ever have ever gone to the doctor, the doctor's, the doctors, had doctors had a brought a computer and yeah. with them, you know, or had I a computer. remember
0: the first appointment I ever went to where the doctor had a laptop and it was very weird. Yeah. This would have been, it was after the blood clot. So back in 2012, I ended up in the ICU for about eight weeks with a blood clot that occluded the entire right side of my brain. And because of the way my body developed collateral flow, that's why I'm here today. Uh, we actually have an, two other friends who developed something very similar, which before I had it in 2012, every doctor in Denver wanted to visit me in the hospital to see if this thing was real because it was incredible. I mean, I remember one of the hospitalists walked in, I had been in the ICU for about two weeks and, and it was her first rotation where I was one of her patients and she walks in the door and I'm sitting there talking to my mom She looks at me with this look on her face of like, what is happening? She grabs the chart and she's flipping through the chart and she's looking at me and then she's looking at the chart and then she's looking at me and she's looking at the chart and I'm like, can I help you with something? (laughs) And she's like, I thought you were in a coma. Because
1: you should have (laughs) been. Because
0: I should have been, right? And so anyway, I'm telling you that backstory because I saw a crap ton of doctors in the two years following that because the recovery from that was... Basically the same as the recovery from a traumatic head wound in right. a car accident. Um, I lost powers of speech for about 24 hours at one point during that when the medication wasn't being regulated correctly. There was two days where they thought they were going to be taking me in emergency brain surgery. I mean, and it's very, very traumatic. There yeah. are still times where I end up mixing up metaphors or analogies or like cliches or sayings. And I wonder if that's a vestige left over from my brain still isn't fully like the pathways are different now yeah. or I'm just getting old. I don't know.
1: Did you have any, did it affect your sense of time at all?
0: Um, yes, but probably not for the reason you're thinking. It it affects your sense of time. It affected my sense of time because I was in the ICU for so long. Oh, okay. And you start to wonder, like, even when you're looking at a calendar, you can't comprehend this is your life now because and you then, haven't
1: seen daylight in, right well so long. well
0: not only that but everybody goes home at the end of the day other than the night nurse or whoever's taking care of you right and with me they were waking me up every hour for neurological checks right. It's very difficult to go back to sleep in a hospital when you're woken up every hour, even when you get tired and grumpy. Yep. Because then you're laying there listening to the beeping of your machines and wondering, is she making a note about something weird that showed up in my neurological check? And am I about to stroke out and die? Or right. you know, and is this really what I want? If that's what's about to happen, yeah. like this is where I want to be. Yeah. I and mean, like all those things go through your head, and so it's very disorienting. In terms of like life doesn't seem real anymore after okay. a while.
1: I I, I asked because you know I talked about this before. My dad had the uh, cryptococcal meningitis, which oh, is a, yeah. which is a fungus, yes. and they don't know how he got it because yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah, M- usually people that get this are transplant patients or AIDS patients because their immunities are, are um, right. But he's neither. Yeah, so so he got this, but. The, the thing that struck me most was his sense of time.
0: Oh, yeah. It was,
1: was so, I mean, he, it even was... Like fluid. It, it was fluid, but even he was kind of aware of it to some degree.
0: Like, what's going on?
1: Um, well, I mean, like, there was one one instance where he thought um, it was in the 1970s and he was hanging out with his friends in in Key West, or in the oh, Keys. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. Um,
0: Oh wow. But
1: he had to ju- he had to go back in so he's got this ventricular shunt now. He just had to go back in because they get clogged up.
0: Yeah, like sure. Was
1: explaining it to me. Um so he, you know, he had a little bit of a relapse of some right. of that stuff. Um and I it's noticed it was almost like
0: he probably had a build up of fluid that was pressing against some of the memory centers in his brain and so it was sort of messing with his ability to perceive reality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I For mean, there me, was
0: all of the buildup was pressing against my communication centers. Okay. And that's why, you know, I had an, what's called an expressive aphasia where I knew what I wanted to say. You just couldn't. It would not come out. It, yeah. it, the, whatever, whether it's the muscles or the, the electrical impulses don't fire correctly. You literally can't form words. Could you,
1: could you write it? No. No, really? You just couldn't communicate? No, the way I could you- read. Yeah.
0: And you know, I, I but my, my, tactile responses were weird. They were okay. off. Yeah. And the panic of wanting to say something and it would not come out. And like I said, for about a day afterwards I had, I could start a sentence and then it would just kind of trail off into nothing. And yeah. so I was making like two or three words at a time and it was, uh, it was so panicky Yeah, that it, I can't even describe the feeling. It's terrifying. Yeah. It, it's literally terrifying. But I remember coming out of the hospital and I, because of the way that the blood clot was pressing against various structures in my brain, it actually had compressed my optic nerves. And so I had an extremely high optic nerve pressure that a very, very highly trained, wonderful ophthalmo- a neuro-ophthalmologist here in town was, was keeping an eye on for me. You know, so they had me on diuretics to try and reduce that pressure and whatever. And the very first visit where I saw where I went to her office after I got out of the hospital, she came in, and her she was on the computer the entire time, oh really, And it was bizarre because i I felt uncomfortable, yeah, because I was like, Are
2: you here I mean, to see I know me she knows yeah,
0: I was like, I know she knows the the whole history and everything, and I, and so I'm not concerned that she's missing something." but i had never had that experience in a doctor's office where they were on the computer typing the whole time we were talking. Yeah. And then she got up and shook my hand said it's good to see you out of the hospital and i was kind of and then that was weird because i was like i didn't even realize that you had looked at me in the eyes yet, you know? Right. Like did you know who i was? Like <laughs> Yeah. And that's not a reflection of her as a doctor because she's a phenomenal doctor. Yeah. It's a reflection of how she had to interact with her charting system in order to get through all of the patients she had to see in a day.
1: Now, interestingly, I noticed now that I think about it, when my dad was in the hospital, he was in the ICU. And I don't remember any of the doctors, any of the providers that came in except for one or two, like the guy that came in to take his lunch order that had a computer. However, there was a station, a workstation just on the, other just side outside of the, the window door. Yeah,
0: outside the door,
1: and I would notice so they'd come in and ask questions, do their thing, maybe the, maybe they would make some notes, I don't remember, but then they'd immediately walk out, sit down at the, and they would be there for
0: twenty minutes thirty long. minutes. long yeah at least
1: yeah. at least thirty minutes, yeah, and that was that was striking to me that yeah. they had to spend so much time, yeah, and again- here again, you know here we were in an i c u of how many beds, how many patients could they could they possibly see, yeah, and so then what does the hospital do in that situation? They have to hire more doctors Yep, to see all those patients yep. in a reasonable
0: And that's why period. the cost goes up. Yeah. Yeah. Because they take all of the internists or all the hospitalists or all the trauma docs or the ICU docs or whoever it is, wherever you are mm-hmm. and they spread that cost out over everybody. Yeah. And I mean, I remember getting the bill from the internist uh, group that was the hospitalists, the doctors who are, hospitalists are doctors who literally they round on patients in the hospital Mm -hmm. and it's not like you have a doctor. Usually you have whoever's on, on shift when you're there. And there were 30 of them,
1: most of whom I had never
0: met. Yeah. And I didn't know their names. And
1: was it a situation where you would see one, one time and then almost never see them again? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so going back to sort of the original, it's like, when I, when I was in the hospital, the nurses all, all had portable computers that they right. would take with them from room to room. Right. And when they would, you know, they'd give you whatever your prescriptions were and they'd mark it down that you took it. And if you had any complaints or whatever. And so literally the nurses were just moving from room to room all night long because of that very thing. Mm-hmm. Because when they were with you. They would spend five or 10 minutes talking to you. They're charting while they're doing it. I remember one uh, one nurse, she uh, she and I got along really well. And so whenever she was on her break, and I'm putting that in quotes, right? she would come in and chart and sit with me. And we would chat while she would chart. And, you know, I'd flip through the TV or whatever until we found something that was entertaining for both of us. Right. And she'd chart. And, I, and then I didn't feel so alone because right. I was the only one who was there that long. Right. right. But that was her break was charting. Right. I mean... So is this a situation where the technology has not only solved, it's failed to solve the problems that it was set out to solve. It's created a whole new set of problems, which creates stress and anxiety and all of the bad things that we say we're trying to prevent for not only patients, but also for nurses and for doctors and for Mm -hmm. the surgeons and for the administrators at the hospital who are worried about how are they going to cover costs when, I mean... It it's it's gotten worse, like it absolutely exponentially has. worse. Yeah,
1: because now that I think about it, Jill actually has a scribe, and a scribe is uh, basically an MA that goes into ev- into every room with, with her, her, and she's the one that's writing this stuff down. She's yep. the one doing, which is good, right? So that Jill can focus on her patients, right?
0: But Jill but still has to review it and make sure that Jill it's has right. to review it. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um. But. That's another cost. Yeah. Right? They have to pay this MA and, you know, one could argue well it's creating jobs. Well, that's it the broken window fallacy right exactly,
0: there. Exactly. Exactly. And the problem is it's creating more low-paying jobs right. because an MA in Denver maxes out around 35,000 a year, oh, maybe really? 40?
1: Yeah, I know that her maybe. MA is not paid very well at no, all. No, because as an MA
0: does you're doing like medical scut work. Why would you get paid a lot of money to do that? And who can live in Denver, Colorado in 2019? Yeah, exactly. You're a glorified secretary. Yeah. So why would somebody with enough medical training to do that job, not seek a better job in medicine and move out of that field? So now you have, and I'm saying glorified secretary, not because secretaries aren't useful and they should be well paid, but because it it illustrates the point, which is they're not. Right. You know, it's there it's a high turnover job. It's low paying because it's high turnover. Mm -hmm. And usually those people discover the ones who are really good at their job discover that they're good at it and they go do something else with those skills. Right. You know? So yeah, you're creating jobs, but you're creating low paying jobs that aren't gonna really fill the need. Yeah. So why is that good?
1: Right. For for something that really as David said, as a medical professional I said, said no. doesn't need to exist for him to be able to do his job.
0: It has no bearing on the quality of patient care for him. Right. None whatsoever. Because I promise you that if it did, he would never complain about doing it. Yeah. But he spends most of his nights and weekends doing charts. Yeah. Because that's what he has to do in order to... And fighting insurance companies. Mm-hmm. The number of times he we have listened to him sit on the phone with a doctor and I'm putting that in quotes too, not because these people don't have MDs, but because they're working for an insurance company. They, oh, really? they haven't seen patients in a long time. They don't see patients now. And some doctor who has no fellowship training or isn't board certified or whatever, who's really? sitting on the other end of the line at an insurance company, arguing with David about what's right for his patient wow. and why they won't pay for it. How is that not practicing medicine without a license? Yeah. I, it's crazy to me, the lengths that, that we have allowed insurance companies are allowed to go to these lengths to avoid paying for care, which is exceptionally costly to them, rather than taking out all of that middleman crap yeah, and saying, "If David and the patient decide that this is the right course of, of treatment for them, The insurance company pays for that. This is why, you know, David and I have argued that we think insurance companies should be not for profit. I agree with that. Because if they were and if they had tax benefits on their nonprofit status based on the actual overall care of their patient populations, Mm -hmm. you would see an incredible shift. I'm not saying I'm not saying socialized medicine. I'm saying not for profit.
1: Right. Meaning so these, that the insurance companies, as they stand right now, could continue to exist. Exactly, it's just that they would have to change their status exactly. from for profit to not for profit. Exactly right. I'm, I, I'm, I would be curious to know how that would. How well, that you would take play out, out shareholders. I, I, so that's that's what it's I was no, going to no ask. It's no longer is,
0: about shareholders being. It's it's that there is no profit in the company. Yeah. You account for administrative costs. I mean, look, let's be honest. The CEO of a of a healthcare company that that actually takes care of patients really well. That's a pretty specialized job. So I don't have a problem with CEOs who are well-qualified or C-suite executives or whatever who are well-qualified in what they do getting paid well. Sure. What I have an issue with is that they pay a lot of intermediary people in order to avoid paying for the care that people need.
1: It's cheaper for them to, to avoid paying than it is to just pay and, and pay. do the work.
0: And in fact, I don't think it is cheaper for them to avoid paying. It I, just seems like it on it
1: paper. Seems like it on it paper. seems like it on paper. It seems like it to their shareholders. Which because
0: is the that's an expense that they can write off right. in a different way. So I, I think if you could figure out a way to take, you know, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield is no longer a for-profit company. Yeah. They're limited to 10% administrative costs. And every other dime has to go into caring for their patient population.
1: I wonder if the same would also apply to hospitals.
0: I, you know, it's interesting because if you look at hospital systems that are for profit, like health one, who they have a lot of infighting between their hospitals because their, their CEOs are bonused against other CEOs in their system, which is also another huge problem. And then you look at somebody like Centura, which is a non, not for profit Uh system. They have the same problems. Okay. They just deal with them differently. So, so a a for-profit system deals with the the internal issues by pitting CEOs against each other, right? And creating infighting in order to solve the budget problems, because then CEOs get real creative, right? Centura deals with it by going out and finding donors. Okay. You know, And, and I don't know which one is better, but I can tell you. That neither one is really working. Yeah, and the reason it's not working in the not pr- not for profit way is because it's really for profit. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me is if you look at the history of Denver General, which is uh, the public health system here in Colorado, until about three years ago, um, when the the last um, head retired, and I cannot remember her name. She was an amazing woman. She retired, and they brought in a new CEO. Until they brought in that new CEO, Denver General had never once been in the red—not once. And it was a public hospital. They service the the people who didn't have insurance. It's a level
1: one trauma center. It's a level one. It is the place.
0: Yeah, in Colorado, if you are in a major accident, a car accident, in other states around
1: here, my understanding, they
0: they helicopter people in because it is the best level one trauma center in like six states. Yeah. And highly respected because of that. And mm-hmm. they managed to stay in the black until just two or three years ago when the when the woman who used to run it retired and they brought in this new guy who had all these newfangled ideas, they have been in the red ever since. Really? So it's proof that being a public health care system, being a nonprofit, because I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure they were a not for profit, I, I don't yeah, know on that. No, I for think because sure. Jill
1: actually worked there a, a good portion of her thirteen years as an RN. Yeah. That's where she worked.
0: And it matters who's running it. It mm-hmm. matters how it's run.
1: Yeah. And they have they have to deal with things that no they, other hospitals, all the indi- they have a jail indigent, inside yeah, of it. Jail. They have an indigent. They, all the I mean, indigent
0: populations go there. All of the um, illegal immigrant populations that can't yep. get health insurance, that's where they that's go. That's where they go. And because they are funded by the state, they have to take these people. Yep. They have to. Now, interestingly enough... UC Health is also partially funded by the state, and they are supposed to take those populations. They only do it in Aurora because it's the only place where they have to. Really? Everywhere else, they turn them away. Is that right? Which should be a crime. They're
1: and, they're in a weird. They, they seem to be in a weird situation. So so Jill now works for. She now works for. It's it's interesting. She is technically a faculty member.
0: Oh, so because she works they're for, owned
1: by UC Health. She works. So she works for. University of Colorado, Right. the front office staff works for UC Health, I yes. think. Yes,
0: yes. It's
1: really strange how yeah. they structured that. And I, I don't understand.
0: Well, they did way. it to avoid some of the issues of because of the way they're structured, her office doesn't have to see the populations that they don't want to take care of, which are the indigent, uninsured... Because okay, they do take medic.
1: Okay, which one is
0: Medicaid? Is the one that's typically the low lowest income? paying? Yeah, okay, low income. so they
1: do see Medicaid, but that's I think that's in part because and they, they were probably
0: bought. are able to limit the number of Medicaid appointments they can take in a given period of time because of the way that they're structured. They may, with the front they end and the back. End. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I, I,
1: I suspect that what they're actually probably doing is transitioning off of those patients slowly because they just yeah. they were a small family-owned practice yeah. and in UC Health see you how whatever, whatever yeah bought that from the yeah. husband and wife that owned it yeah. um and they took medicaid patients all day long right um right so yeah it's it's weird it, how it's they're...
0: it's a very weird situation and it it's it's causing issues in fact you see health is known to be um not friendly to the community doctors to yeah. the point where they go in this is what happened i'm sure with with the uh Jill's practice yeah they come in, and a lot of doctors they buy them, make them all these these promises and guarantees and whatever. And six months later, they just shut the practice down because they're like, "Oh, well, we already have these doctors on staff at UC Health."
1: Oh, okay. So
0: no. we have known a lot of subspecialists that have gotten royally screwed yeah. by the U.
1: No, it, I, we what we think because the, the the husband and wife they were both doctors. Yeah. On this, they're they're older. They were ready to retire oh, okay. anyway. Um, but also. There's Broomfield Hospital, I think, that they just built. Yeah. And so what we think is they're, they're, they're buying feeders. up their feet. Yeah, yeah. They're looking for, for yeah. these small family owned practices, they're buying them up and then starting to try and to And how route is that not
0: a violation of Stark exactly. law, <laughs> which is supposed to be, you can't refer to yourself. You right. can't self refer. Like what the heck is that? Somehow the, and this is what's scary in Colorado specifically is the right people have gotten in the right pockets of the right politicians. And yep. this is just okay. Yeah. Even though it's violating all kinds of federal and state laws, it's just okay. Yeah. Because well, we're friends with the governor and we're friends with the mayor and you know, I it's it's disgusting. So there's
1: <laughs> these additional inefficiencies.
0: Yeah.
1: Throughout the system. I mean, they're they're system-wide. But yeah, I mean, there's these inefficiencies we were talking about the EMR, but I'm I'm thinking now there's got to be other efficiencies that they could that that they could take care of that are probably just low hanging fruit. Yeah. That at this point everybody, yeah. this is that emergence technology or yes. emergence phenomenon. Yes. At this point, everybody's just like, this is how we've always done it. Yeah. You, that, you know, Jill and I were talking about that last night. This the I think Grace Hopper said the, the the worst phrase in the English language is because this is how we've always done it. Yeah. Without any reason or rhyme. You can't go back and say, well they did it this way for this reason. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I feel like there's a lot of that probably in healthcare. When I think, they did it this I think way, she, that so.
0: woman's probably rolling over in her grave at some of the ways that technology has been exploited. You know, she, she did so much. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's pretty much credited with early networking. She figured out how to...
1: She was more in languages. I don't think she had so much to do with networking. I could be wrong, but I think she contributed to, to Ada... COBOL, and BASIC or, oh, or
0: three okay. languages. Because the way that her Wikipedia entry is written, she contributed to some of the early networking that that wrong. was the foundation of DARPA and then, and okay. then later the internet. Okay. And she was one of the ma- masterminds behind some of that. Probably because of her familiarity with languages. Yeah. But-
1: There's somebody I, they should make a movie out of. I know. You know
0: Wouldn't it be I, interesting? Maybe.
1: Maybe just be real. I mean, like, a
0: woman in the, what was that, the 30s and 40s? Yeah. Who was- a master of language and and technology. I mean,
1: like, I think she's the reason why we call bugs bugs because yeah, she, she invented actually the found term a bug. Yeah, a, a physical bug in in
0: that, that these was, relays. Yeah, and it was actually like preventing the flow of electricity across a certain yeah or whatever. Yeah, it's anyway. I, I it, it's an interesting. This is a a very interesting problem. I think it is one that is really ripe. Healthcare in general, but healthcare technology and how. How you service the delivery of healthcare services, mm-hmm. how you, how you attend to that in a way that makes it secure, but also makes it flexible, but also doesn't have doctors and healthcare professionals who are very highly trained in other skills, having to be also highly trained in IT and basic technology.
1: That's another, that's another <laughs> area of sort of inefficiency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when see Health bought this practice that Jill worked at, she had to go. I think two or three days, full days, not seeing patients, so that she could Did learn get how to work. T- <laughs> and what was ironic how is that
0: is, making anybody's life better,
1: exactly. But I, what, I, if I recall, I will have to check with her. I think the system they were training her on, she already knew because she'd used it at oh a previous my Lord. employer. <laughs> But of course, <laughs> someone in that organization said, "Yeah, but we do it a little bit differently, of so we course, need to make sure that you understand." Our installs a little
0: different, you know. the things are a little different. Yeah. So,
1: I'm sure she was sitting in this class half awake, looking at her phone, you know, yeah. she's like, "Hey, that's how I would be." Yeah. I know this. Why are, this uh, Why this wasting why am my here?
0: time? Yeah. So, if you're out there and you're an entrepreneur who's been thinking about ways of fixing inefficiencies in healthcare, fixing inefficiencies in the EMR system, don't stop. You know, I think there's money that's being put into that area right now. Um, It can be difficult to get money raised because there's so much uncertainty about the future of medicine in, in the United States. But if you can keep going and if you can find a way to really solve some of these problems you will find people who will back you and you will be, you will find ways to make money doing it because these are huge problems that are facing everyone on the planet who is a doctor or a patient. That's everyone. Mm -hmm. And no one has figured them out yet. Yeah. And, and they're horribly, horribly solved right now because we've just made it okay that big inefficient companies are solving big inefficient problems. Yeah. You know, this has been a really interesting topic. <laughs> um, I think we'll probably cross post this to to the co- to both both of the brands cuz I think there's interesting stuff throughout for for whether whether you're thinking about it from technology or whether you're, whether you're an entrepreneur if you're a human being this has been interesting. Yeah. Um and as yeah, always it affects everybody's Yeah, life it affects everyone. At some point. Everyone. Um, and as always, if you're, if you have questions or you're curious or there's a topic you want us to cover or something that we talked about that you're like, what does that mean? Please post questions, send us email through our website, through YouTube, through one of our social channels. And uh, we'll make sure that we cover that or get back to you directly or or uh, however we can best serve that. So. Which is
1: actually please reach out to us because yes. we're we're looking for new ideas of things to talk about. So yeah.
0: What, what's interesting.
1: Q&A would be great.
0: Q&A would be awesome. Like
1: I love the the Jocko podcast and yeah. some of the best podcasts he does are his Q&As.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is Grant kind of threw out the great hack. Yeah. Um, as like, that's a trending topic. We should talk about it. And so when I sat down and watched the movie, I was kind of like, I don't know if this really relates to our audiences. It's one of the most highly viewed videos and pot- listened to podcasts really? in our history.
1: Wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. So, so tell us what you're interested in. Tell us what, you know, give us ideas. You know, we're, we're always open to new ideas. It doesn't have to
1: be tech related. We'll pontificate on anything.
0: Yeah, we will. We will. And if there's people that you think would be a good fit for the podcast that we could invite as guests, let us know, because I'm really good at hunting those people down and getting them on the show. Mm -hmm. So, um. Yeah. So we, we have uh, enjoyed this. We missed Grant today. I'm sure he'll be back for the next one. We hope he'll be back with a new tooth, with a new tooth. And um, thanks guys so much. And we will see you next time. This episode of Incubate This was brought to you by gotanappidea.com in partnership with Rika Technologies and The Rika Show. Visit us at com for more fun with technology or at gotanapidea.com for more tips, tricks, strategies, and advice.